Well, how's everybody doing? It's good to see everybody today. I am glad that you are here, whether you're at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, or Lakewood, or whether you're just listening via live stream. We are so glad that you are with us today. And uh, how many of you uh, know that uh, God has something for you today? Yeah. All right. Um, hey, before I get into the message, I actually have uh, a quick announcement that I need to make. Uh, initially, it was going to be that next weekend we are going to take up a Thanksgiving offering, but uh, Pastor John and I talked right before uh, the services this weekend, and uh, to some of the pastors, this will be actually brand new to them uh, as I'm sharing this. Here's what we're going to do. Normally, we have a huge Thanksgiving outreach uh, the, the weekend right before Thanksgiving, and we collect uh, from you an offering in which we then provide food and meals for families uh, here at JFC and do all of that. But here's what Pastor John and I believe that we are supposed to do this year. We are still going to take up that offering next weekend. We're going to ask you to pray about this and bring the offering next weekend. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to take any money that comes in for that offering, and we're going to actually give it to all of the families and uh, people in need in the northern Colorado, northern Denver area. We have churches up there that we have relationship with, at least three churches uh, that come to mind as we were talking about it that we can get involved with and help out up there. And so how many of you know that that's probably the best thing to do right now considering all the circumstances? Um, and so here's what we're going to ask you to do. You know how we take up offerings here at the church. We ask you to pray about uh, whether you want to be involved in this and to what extent. Uh, this is not a part of your tithe, but it goes over and above your tithe. It goes into uh, extra offerings that you would give. Ask the Lord if you should be a part of that. Whatever he speaks to your heart, then next week bring that. You can write in the memo field uh, flood relief or disaster relief or however you want to do that. And we will take every penny of that offering that we collect up next weekend and we will make sure that it goes to the re relief of those individuals, those families and those people that uh, are in dire need. Um, and, you know, I, I was listening to something this morning. Do you, I, I, probably most of you realize this, but uh, most people do not have flood insurance. Um, and so it, it, is, it just adds to the devastation to know that you may have homeowner's insurance, but it doesn't cover this type of event. Um, and so that is, that is just amazing. So uh, just uh, be praying about that. Um, I'm going to start by praying right now, and I'm going to ask that God would speak through me to deliver his heart to you. Would you just open your, your hearts, and would you pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you uh, as we go into the Word this weekend? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we can come before you and that we can uh, learn more about you. But God, it's more than learning about you. Um, Heavenly Father, we want to become more like your son. God, I pray that you would use me today to communicate your heart. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, the words that I speak would leave my mouth and would go to all of the campuses, would go to the people listening online, listening via podcast later, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would penetrate into their hearts and by your Holy Spirit that you would impact their lives. God, I don't want any condemnation. I don't want any guilt. But Lord, what I do want is that sweet conviction that comes and changes who we are. And God, I pray that that is what you will do this weekend as I give and I deliver your message. And Lord, we thank you that you are going to do this. And if that is your prayer at all the campuses, say amen. Amen. All right. The series that we're in right now is called 2028, um, Where We Are Going. And uh, I don't have enough time to go through the last uh, three weekends and kind of recap what Pastor John and, and what Pastor Terry have talked about. If you have not 
heard these messages, I strongly encourage you, go online. Because to be quite honest with you, um, it is uh, a series right now that is sending us as a church into uh, a new direction. And I want you to be aware of what that new direction is going to be. One of the things that Pastor John actually said uh, in the first two messages was this. We have taken our vision and mission statement and we've reduced it down into four words. And those four words that we want everybody to understand, everybody to memorize, everybody have a heart for, and that is this, to plant churches and make disciples. Say that with me. One, two, three. Perfect. And so what I'm going to talk to you today about is what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it really mean to be a disciple? Why do you come to Jubilee Fellowship Church? Think about that for just a second. Why are you here? Why are you listening to me right now? Is it because you want more information? Because you want to learn more about Jesus Christ? who he is? Or is it because you want to learn how to become more like him? And it's a small difference, but it's huge in the impact and the effect of your life. See, as the pastors of Jubilee Fellowship Church, we hope that you come every weekend not to get more information. Our heart is that you would be coming because you want to become more like Christ every weekend. And that you want to find out new, um, new revelations from the Holy Spirit in how that is accomplished in your life. Church, we hope that you come to Jubilee Fellowship because you want to be a disciple. What is a disciple? If you look it up in the Greek, it's simply defined this way, a learner to become a pupil. We hope that you want to be a learner or a pupil of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that um, he comes to teach and that no, no um, student goes above the teacher. You know what? We ultimately can't go above Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he was perfect. How many of you are perfect? I realize the Highlands Ranch campus all raised their hand, but you're not. The truth is this, we are all far from perfect. But again, our hope is that you want to become a disciple, a pupil of Jesus Christ, and strive ultimately to become more and more and more like him. Before I go into talking about what does it look like to be a disciple, let's talk about what it, looks, what it doesn't look like to be a disciple. I asked a question on Facebook like I do every time I speak, and the question was this, um, what do you think um, a misnomer or, or a lie about discipleship is when somebody says, hey, you're supposed to be a discipleship of Christ? And I got all kinds of great answers, and I'm actually going to talk about uh, a few of these. Discipleship is not becoming a biblical or a Bible scholar. Discipleship is not having all of the answers. See, I think that for people, when they hear, hey, you need to be a disciple of Christ, I think that there's this understanding that I have to know it all. That I have to have a great understanding of what the Bible says. And every, You know what? Here's the truth. Jesus will take you wherever you're at. It's a good place for a roaring amen. amen. 
Jesus will take you wherever you are at. You don't have to become a biblical scholar. Now, the great news is, as you walk in this relationship with him, guess what? You're going to get to know the Bible more. You're going to get to know who he is more. And you're going to get to know what that looks like in your life more and more. But here's the truth. You don't have to start by being a biblical scholar. How about this one? Discipleship is not having to do the things I don't want to do. Or this one, I can't have fun anymore. Or this one, I have to give up my dreams. I will never forget this. We used to have a class called Discoveries here at the church. And I'm teaching this Discoveries class. And in the middle of the class, we took a gift assessment test. And one of the gifts uh, on this test was craftsmanship. And this lady, she scored, I think the, the highest possible score was 16 points in, in, in craftsmanship. She scored 15 points. And I said, okay, class, is there anyone that is surprised by what you got or, or you, you want to comment about anything? And the lady raised her hand. And she goes, yeah, well, I'm a little shocked. And I go, why? And she goes, well, I scored really high in craftsmanship. And I said, that's shocking to you? She goes, no, not at all. She goes, but here's the thing. Um, I love doing crafts. And I'm just surprised that God would use me in something that I love to do. Church, that's what she said. That's what she believed because I think that there's this misnomer, that there's this lie in society and especially in, in, in coming into church when you first give your heart to the Lord. When somebody says you need to become a disciple of Christ, then you automatically think that I have to start not enjoying what I'm doing. I have to go into this area of servanthood and I just have to go do these things that God has for me to do and I have to kind of forget about all the things that I love. Oh, do you know the Bible says that God wants to give you your heart's desire? I'm reading a book right now that actually talks about the fact that God wants to use your desire to glorify him. Oh, man, that is so good. Discipleship is not having to give up your dreams. I believe with all of my heart, discipleship actually is letting God come in and help you fulfill your dreams. How about this one? Discipleship is not being perfect or untouchable. I think a lot of people believe that. Hey, you need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, well, he was perfect, so therefore I have to be perfect, and you're expecting me to be perfect. Here's, here's the truth. The world thinks that Christians should be perfect. They call us a bunch of hypocrites. You know what? We are. As a matter of fact, on the count of three, I want you to say I'm a hypocrite. One, two, three. Absolutely. Why? Because when we ask Jesus into our heart, when we confess him as our Lord and Savior, guess what? Yeah, our spirit has changed, but man, our flesh is battling that spirit, and we still sometimes do stupid things. And when the world sees that, they go, well, you're supposed to be perfect because you're supposed to be a disciple. Because in the world's mind, a disciple means perfection. Ugh! And if you think that, then you're going to be very condemned. You're going to be, feel very guilty when you start to try to pursue that relationship with God. Church, I'm here to tell you, God is not expecting and he's not calling you to be perfect. He just wants you to get better today than you were yesterday. And he wants you to be better tomorrow than you were today. And he wants you to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. How about this? Discipleship is not becoming a judge of others. 
I don't know. Um, for some people, though, I, well, <laughs> I'll just make this real open and honest. My name, I've said this many times, my name is Daniel, which uh, literally means God is my judge. And it's true, God is my judge. But here's how it reflects in my life. I'm really good at judging people. That was supposed to be a little funnier than that. <laughs> You're like, how could you? Oh, I know you never do. I totally understand. Hey, here's the truth. Um, as, as I obtain and understand uh, more information, more revelation from Jesus Christ, I have this natural bent to actually judge, judge, judge others and expect them to be there. And I have to constantly work on realizing, okay, you know what, they're, they're at where they're at, and I'm where I'm at, and I can't project where I'm at onto them. Discipleship is not a license to judge other people. Discipleship is not becoming a pastor or a missionary. There is an understanding that if you become a disciple of Christ, you have to give up everything that you have and you have to move to Africa. <laughs> for a small percentage, that may be true. But for the vast percentage, that is just not true. Also, you do not have to be a pastor or a full-time minister in, in the terminology as we know, to be a disciple. Guess what? You can be a disciple, a pupil of Jesus Christ, right now, right here, right where you're at. Discipleship is not having to spend more time at church. Or somebody actually put this one, to be a part of every church ministry. Here's what I believe. I don't know if you've ever read the screw tape letters um, by C.S. Lewis, but um, it, it's, a, it's a great interaction between a demon and his mentor. And they're talking about this person that had just given their heart to the Lord, and the mentor says to the demon, hey, okay, now that they have given their heart to the Lord, here's what you do. And I think one of the things that the enemy does is make you think that you have to do all of these churchly duties in order to be a good disciple. And gets you so steeped in doing those things that you are doing all these good activities and you're missing out on the God thing that he has for your life. Last one here. Discipleship is not going to happen overnight. See, church, disciple defined is this. A follower of Jesus during his life. Or another definition, a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. That's the definition of discipleship. And what I'd like to share with you today is three truths that I believe the Lord has put in my heart to give to you about discipleship. These are not the only three things. These are just three things that I believe the Lord wanted me to share with you this weekend. The first one is this. When it comes to discipleship, you have to decide. It has to be a conscious decision by each and every one of us. We have to decide that we want to be a disciple. See, there's a thing that happens a lot of times in churches that people make decisions for salvation, but then they don't make the decision to make Jesus their Lord. And I'm not talking about a salvation issue. You know what? Salvation issues come in a moment, in an instant. 
You come to the understanding that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for your sins and for your sake, and you get convicted by that, and you realize, oh, I need a Lord and Savior. I understand that this intricate God that created the heavens and the earth, that created the blood vessels in my body, has created an intricate, detailed way to him, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And so you come to that understanding, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Boom, you make that decision. You confess with your mouth that he's the Lord. You believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And boom, you're saved. That's what the Bible says. But then the Bible also says that we then need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's where we lose some people. Because they think they can make that instant decision. And then that's all that there is to do. Salvation comes in an instant, church, but discipleship takes a lifetime. Becoming a follower takes a lifetime. So my question to you is how will you respond to the call? How will you respond to what I'm saying to you right now? See, the Lord wants you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jubilee Fellowship Church, for the next 15 years, where are we going? We, Pastor John admitted, he said, you know what, in the first 15 years, I think we've made a mistake because we didn't put much, as much emphasis on the discipleship part. We're going to start putting an emphasis on the discipleship part and say, hey, become more of a follower of Christ. And so my question to you is, how will you respond to the call? Will you be like Andrew and Peter in Matthew 4, 19 and 20? Jesus is walking along the, 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 uh, the beach. They're out in a boat. He says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Listen to what happens. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. How about James and John in Matthew 4, 22? He again gives the same call, and this is what, happened, what their response is. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their boat and their father to go follow him. But I want to read another story about a rich young man in Mark 10. You know, here this man comes up to Jesus, and I believe with all intentions, wanted to know what it meant to follow Jesus, because here's what he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus lists the commandments. And he goes, all of these I have done. And then Jesus goes, well, you're lacking one thing. Go and sell everything. And this is his response. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Church, how will you respond to the call? I'm giving you a call today. He wants you to be a disciple. He wants you to be a follower of his son, Jesus Christ. How will you respond? Will you go away sad because you realize that it may take some sacrifice and it may take um, a bending to your flesh? Or will you immediately leave what you are in and what you're doing as the Lord leads and follow him? Um, I felt like the Lord wanted me to define something here. 
What's the difference between a follower and a fan? See, a follower, the definition is this. Devotion of a particular person, cause, or activity. And the second part of this definition, listen to this. A person who moves or travels behind someone. Who moves or travels to follow someone. I'm not asking you to pack up your house and go move somewhere, but my question is, would you? If just called you to do that, would you do it? Or are you a fan? Listen to the definition of fan. A person who has a strong interest in or admiration of a particular sport, art form, or famous person. Church, I believe the body of Christ, I'm not talking about Jubilee Fellowship, but I'm talking the body of Christ at large. I think we have a whole lot of fans of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's okay to be a fan of Jesus Christ. I want you to be interested in him. Based on that definition, I want you to be very interested in him. But I want you to go beyond being a fan. I want you to go and be a follower. Someone that would give up his very home to move and follow after him. I understand this is a challenging word. But how will you respond to the call? He's calling every single one of us to make a decision. What will you do, church? Do you know why we have church services at all of our campuses? So that we can equip you and train you in how to follow Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 actually says, and Pastor John talked about it, our job as pastors is to equip and train you to do the work of the ministry. The pastors aren't even supposed to be doing the ministry. You are. And I hope it's so quiet because there's so much thinking going on. Let me give you... Um, let me give you just in an instance in my life how this happened. Um, 1992, I made a deal with God. Here was the deal. I had heard about him. I heard that he wanted a relationship. I grew up Catholic, as most of you know, um, and, but I had never entered into a personal relationship. And I, I was challenged by a, a, a friend of mine, and he said, hey, um, Jesus wants a walking, talking relationship with you. I'd never heard that before. And I thought, okay, God, if you're really real and you want a walking, talking relationship with me, then here's what I'll do. I'll go to church for a month. You do something. You make yourself real to me. Go to church the first weekend, nothing. Go to church the second weekend, nothing. The third weekend, Saturday night, I live with three other guys and we had a good time. If that makes any sense. And at 3 o'clock at night, I'm still feeling the effects of the good time. I'm laying down to go to sleep. And out of nowhere, this voice in my head goes, don't forget to set your alarm. What? You made a deal. So I set my alarm for way earlier than I ever wanted to get up. <laughs> alarm goes off. Take a shower. I go to church. God came into my life. 
totally made himself real. I gave my heart to the Lord. I confessed him as my Lord and Savior. And from that day forward, church, I have never been the same. But here's what happened. There was something in me that realized, okay, I, I, okay so I've asked Jesus in my heart, but I'm supposed to do something. So here's what I did. I, I don't know if anybody else has ever done this, but I went to church the next weekend, or I, actually it was probably three or four weekends later, and there was this announcement to uh, join the Easter choir. And I was like, that must be what I need to do. <laughs> church, I don't sing that good. I'm just admitting that to you right now. But here, I decided I'm going to be part of the choir. I go through all of these practices for the choir, right? My wife is laughing because she, she knows. It wasn't good. Side note. Do all these practices for this Easter cantata that we're doing in our church. I sleep through the first two services. My mom comes from Willem Park and says, uh, Dan, where are you? I just woke up. Slept through the thing. Never mind, okay. So in the middle of that, <laughs> in the middle of that, um, I am introduced to Pastor John Leach. He, at the time, was the youth pastor at Resurrection Fellowship. And we're talking, and uh, he's just getting to know me a little bit, and I'm learning about who he is and all of that. And out of the blue, this is what Pastor John does. He looks at me and goes, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, I, I got to go to <laughs> choir practice. And he goes, choir practice. And I go, yeah, I'm in the Easter. And he's like, um, okay, when that's all over, he goes, why don't you come and be a part of my leadership team for the youth group? Church, it was a call given by Pastor John Leach to me, but it was a call by God that set my life and my course direction. Church, I believe that God has called some of you in a very similar way. How did you respond, or how are you responding? Not that you are being called into full-time ministry, but the truth is we're all full-time ministers. What is the call that God is calling out to you? So number one, we must decide. Number two, we must develop. Pastor Terry did a great job last weekend talking about relationships and the fact that we're supposed to have relationships and that we're created and um, it, we, we actually are fulfilled when we walk in relationship. But here's what I wanted to add to that. We need to develop relationship because relationship with Jesus and relationship with people is what it's all about. A man comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love people as you love yourself. That's it. All of the commands are fulfilled in that one command. Love God and love people. So what does that look like? It looks like having walking, talking relationships with people. If you really want to respond to the call of being a disciple, you need to develop relationships in your life. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to, yes, the teaching, but they devoted themselves to fellowship. I have a challenge or I have a question for you right now. How devoted are you to relationship-making? Man, it is so quiet. 
Relationships take hard work. We live in a society that will drive into their garage, and before they even get out of the car, the garage door comes down. There is something about, now go figure, right? Because we have an enemy that hates the fact that relationship development is what God has called us to do. We have an enemy that has stirred up this, this lie and this deception that I don't need anybody. And so therefore, let me just hang out with my own family. Let me get in my own little cocoon and I'll be all right. Don't dare come talk to me while I'm sitting on my front porch. We've kind of turned from... Um, a society in which people hung out on the front porch and talked with one another to a back porch society where you just hang out with your family. Am I speaking truth? But yet Jesus said we need to love him and we need to love other people. We have to be good at developing relationships with other people. Here's the truth. You cannot have discipleship without relationship. You can't. You cannot have discipleship without relationship with other people. Because here's the truth. You're going to have three people, three types of people in your life. You're going to have somebody above you that has gone before you that can instruct you and can give you wise advice. You're going to have somebody at a peer level that you can talk about things and go, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? And you can discuss and you can kind of just have that mutual understanding of exactly where you are in your relationship with the Lord. And you should have somebody that's right below you that hasn't gone through what you have that you can then pour into them and you can speak life into them. Those are the three relationships that every single one of us should have and should have strong relationships in each one of those categories. Do you? As I'm praying for this message, I realize I'm lacking in one of these areas. I'm convicted. Oh my gosh. Um, I need to get my act together in regards to, I was convicted in the fact that, you know what? I've become good at, at listening to people. But I've got a lot of peers that we talk a lot about, but I'm not very good at taking my neighbors and getting with them and just showing them the love and the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they come to that understanding, then helping them along. You know what's funny? is I used to be really good at that. But I got so busy doing the other stuff that I kind of left that behind. Can I, can I be that honest with you? Here, listen, I'll finish up on point two by saying this. This takes time and investment, church. Again, we, we've said this from time to time, but we live in a society in which we stand at our microwaves and say, hurry up. Think about that concept for just a minute. It's not fast enough to make our rice in five minutes, right? We're just, hurry up, hurry up. We need that right now. We go through the drive-thru and a fast food restaurant, and if we don't get our food in a matter of minutes, it irritates us. Or maybe just irritates me. You guys are all better than that. Have you ever, I've got two teenagers right now. They're almost 17 and almost 15. And here's something 
That's very interesting. They both have a really tight group of friends right now. Matter of fact, um, my wife and I are struggling with, right now with the fact that um, we, we come home and we don't have anything to do. And we're like, okay, we can hang out with our kids. And they're gone. Where are you guys? Oh, we're with our friends. Do you remember back in high school? Do you remember back in college? Didn't it seem really easy to make friends and to have that? Let me see if I can't explain why that is. So you spend five days a week, three, four, five hours a day with these same individuals. No wonder it's so easy and quick to make friends. Then we grow up and we turn 25, 35, 45, 55, whatever it is, and we remember how easy or how quickly it seemed that relationship took place. And we go, where are those relationships? I just can't find them. It's just, I, just, I don't have a good friend. If you were to extrapolate the three hours a day for five days a week, how many years would it take to make a good friend now? Think about that. My wife and I, a few years back, actually had this conversation. We realized it probably takes somewhere between two and a half to three years to really develop a good relationship. And that's being very intentional about getting with them every week or every other week to make connection, to get to know them, to have them get to know you, and to actually start to share lives together. See, in high school, you were doing it every day for three hours a day. Now we're doing it, what, once, maybe twice a month? Am I making sense? It takes a lot of hard work. And church, just because it takes a lot of hard work, that does not give you the excuse that we're not to do it. Terry mentioned this, but here's, I want to draw, bring it home. In the Bible, there are several verses that talk about one another, love one another, encourage one another, edify one another, um, correct one another. All of these one another's that are actually commandments that, that we're given to do with one another in the body of Christ. And if you don't have a relationship, you cannot fulfill any of them. That should be concerning to you. Because if you really have a heart to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then the Bible needs to be the guidebook for that and you should want to fulfill everything that he is asking us to do in the middle of that. And we can't do any of the one another's if we don't have relationships. We need to develop relationships. We need to decide we want to be a disciple. Once we decide that, we need to develop relationship with Jesus, and we need to develop relationship with other people. And the third one is this. We need to deploy. What we need to do then is we need to take what we've learned, and we need to give it out to other people. Following Jesus, church, following Jesus without teaching other people to follow him as well doesn't actually add up. I'm going to say that one more time. If you call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but yet you are not bringing somebody up along with you, then you are missing a vast majority of what it means to be a disciple. Matthew 28, 19. <laughs> Don't miss this. 
Because a lot of times we read this section of scripture and we go, that's what the church is supposed to do. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Is that the church responsibility or each individual person's responsibility? <laughs> Nobody wants to really say that. It's every person's responsibility. Jesus wasn't talking to the church. He was talking to 11 men saying, you need to go out and go do this and instruct others to go do it. And Paul, did, oh, and I don't have enough time to actually go into all this, but Paul did such an incredible job because he raised up Timothy. And he said, as I do, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And then Timothy goes, okay. And so he imitated Paul and then took somebody else along with him and said, hey, as I intimidate, uh, imitate Paul who imitates Jesus, imitate me. And the next guy went, as I imitate Timothy, he imitated Paul, he imitated Jesus, imitate me. We need to have people who are following us. We are supposed to be out making disciples. Don't ignore the commission of Christ, church. Do not ignore the commission of, of Christ. Every single one of us has a part to play. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. It's not hard either. You know, I think it's, uh, again, another deception in our mind that, oh man, this is going to be incredibly difficult. How about this? No, just find one or two people and disciple them. Think about this. On Easter service, we had 5,000 or 5,500 people that came to Jubilee. If 5,500 people would just take two people, we'd be 15,000 people the next year. And in two years, we'd be 45,000 strong. Think about that by just taking two and saying, you know what, I'm just going to pour into you what I've learned from Jesus. Isn't that good? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, this should not be hard. Let me give you just a quick illustration of how this has happened in my life. Um, about seven, man, I don't even remember now, seven or eight years ago, uh, this couple comes into our church and um, here, they, they hear a message from Pastor John, totally moves them. Um, they give their hearts and their lives to the Lord. And then the next step, as we've said so many times, is, hey, your next step after you've given your heart to the Lord, go to a foundations class. So this couple comes to a foundations class. And in the middle of the class, I just see something. God kind of highlights this couple to me. And, and I realized, wow, these guys are really quality people. That, not, not that everybody else wasn't, but God was just highlighting them in my life. And so I just started to pay a little more attention to them, and I started pouring out to them a little bit. Um, at that time, I actually moved from the business administration into the discipleship pastor position at the church several years ago, 2006, I think. And at that point, I was like, you know what? This couple is brand new in their relationship with the Lord. They would be a great asset to what it would look like for discipleship, and just they'd have a different perspective. So I invite them to come in and to be a part of this. And in the middle of that, I just share my heart and what God had done in my life and how he had pulled me along, and I just kept pulling them along with me. Then shortly thereafter, Pastor John asked me to be the campus pastor at the Highlands Ranch campus. And so I said, okay, I, I would love to do that. Um, and I went to this couple and I said, you don't have to follow me here, but I would love it if you guys would come. And they were like, man, we definitely want to come there. And they followed me there. And shortly thereafter, it became very evident, these guys need to be my associates. And so I asked them to pray about becoming my associate pastors. Pastor Bob and Gabe Oldfield graciously said, yes, we would love to be your associate pastors. And then a year ago, Pastor John said, uh, Pastor Dan, I'm going to promote you up 
to being over all of the campus. Help me to make the day-to-day vision take place at the campuses. And at that moment, there was, it was a no-brainer. We went to Pastor Bob and Gabe Oldfield and said, hey, would you be the campus pastor of the Highlands Ranch campus? You know what? Here's the truth. It happened through relationship. And it wasn't hard for me. It wasn't this really difficult thing. Like I had to go pray and plan and, okay, what am I going to tell Bob and Gabe today? You know what? I just shared my life with them. I just took what God had downloaded to me, actually, through Pastor John and Chris, and I just downloaded it to Pastor Bob and Gabe. And it was amazing how God used that to stir them up. And now look at where they're at. And they gave their hearts to the Lord at Jubilee. And now they're campus pastors at Highlands Ranch. It could happen in your neighborhood. It could happen in your workplace. It could happen in your family. But we have to be intentional about going out and deploying what we've heard. If we're going to be a discipleship of Jesus, we need to decide that that's what we want. We need to develop relationship with Jesus and with other people. We need to deploy what we've learned to those other people that we're in relationship with. And then I'm going to conclude by saying this. Above all else, a disciple loves. Above all else, a disciple lives, loves. And I'm just going to simply say this. What is your motivation for doing this? If your motivation, oh boy, listen to the, the fine line here. If your motivation to doing what I've been communicating and sharing with you, if your motivation is because, well, Pastor Dan told me to do this, so I'm going to go do it. Uh-oh. Because all of a sudden now your motivation becomes the wrong heart. The motivation needs to be out of the motivation of love because here's the truth. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son so that you could have relationship with him and everlasting life. And therefore, because of that, there should be this automatic, as you receive that, as you begin to understand that flow, it automatically flows out to you to other people and you begin to realize, you know what? God loves other people. And out of that, I'm going to pour out and I'm going to give my heart. 1 Corinthians says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must, so you must love one another. Why must we love one another? Because when we love one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my what? You must love one another because out of this, if you will love one another, then people will recognize and understand that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then he concludes and says, if you love one another. Pastor Dan, I don't know, I don't know if I have that type of love for other people. Yes, you do. If you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, well, let me just ask a quick question. How much, of Jesus, how much of the Holy Spirit do you receive when you ask Jesus into your heart? Very good. Best response of the day. 
You receive all of the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, Galatians says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kind. Hey, guess what? The fruit, love. You have love. Stop praying for it. Stop asking. Here's what you need to do. God, help me not operate in my flesh, but help me to operate in my spirit. Because where the spirit is, love is. And help me to understand and help me to um, build and help me to interact with these people out of love that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I think what you'll find is that all of a sudden you'll have this supernatural bubbling in you and a heart for people that maybe you never have had before. You know those Myers-Briggs tests where it puts you in four quadrants or, or, you know, one of those quadrants is relationship quadrant and those people are going, amen, hallelujah, right now. The other three quadrants are going, why, Pastor Dan, why are you doing this to me? But the truth is this. We're designed and we're created to have relationship, but that relationship has to be done with love. If we do it in love the world will know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. They'll see the love that you've given, and they will know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you have given us your son as a model of what it looks like to follow you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us to do our very best. To do our very best to understand what it means to become your disciple. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal to every person listening to me right now that you would reveal your truth and your heart. If there was anything that I said that wasn't from you, Lord, I pray that they would forget it before they could even leave the place that they're listening at right now. But God, if it is from you, I pray that you would begin to stir up this um, conviction, stir up this excitement about being a disciple because the truth is that's where the life is. Jesus, you said yourself that you came not to just give life, but to give it in abundance. God, help us to realize that being a disciple is where the abundant life is found. Oh, God, help us to realize that. Help us to realize that we get that life from getting under the teaching of other people that have gone before us, but we also get that life from giving the teaching that we receive to others and seeing them mature in their relationship. God, stir in our hearts a passion and a desire to follow you in this way. Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. Everybody said, amen.